This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along for this edition of Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino. Each week, we tackle parenting hot topics through an evidence-based lived experience lens. You can also catch the complete video version of each of our interviews at whereparentstalk.com. On today's show, are the skills students are graduating with from college and university aligning to the immediate needs of the workplace? And what role can a parent play to support better preparing their kids for the future of work? To discuss this, we're joined by the Chief Research and Development Officer at the Business and Higher Education Roundtable. It's a not-for-profit organization that brings together Canada's largest companies and post-secondary institutions. Matthew McKean is our guest. He's also a writer, a speaker, and a father of two. He joins us today from Ottawa. Matthew, thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. We're essentially talking about preparing today's youth for tomorrow's jobs. And the fact is, in many cases, we might not necessarily know what some of those jobs may even look like. So as a father yourself, what could you offer just generally to parents in terms of how they can support their children to find a career or a future job? Such a good question. And I don't get to, I don't get to answer this one often enough. Although I live and breathe and work in this space, I'm often talking about students who are already in post-secondary and are looking to trans, you know, transition into the workforce. So the opportunity to think about this and talk about it uh, much earlier on is, uh, is, is super fun. So honestly, my, my answer right now would be to expose children or young, expose kids to as many different things as, as possible. So there, this, this, this popular narrative that, you know, the, the, the future jobs, there'll be jobs that don't exist, <laughs> that the next jobs don't exist yet. I don't know how we then, I've heard that for a long time. I don't know how we prepare for them. <laughs> so then if they, if they don't exist. So, but what we know from a lot of the work that we've done is that young people, new grads, people entering the workforce need to have transferable, adaptable skills, what we call the human skills uh, above and beyond anything else. And that's what we hear from employers too. <laughs> so exposing kids helping them figure out where their interest is and helping them to develop those skills that aren't so specific, but will help them transition, develop the interest, become good workers, I think is probably uh, at least the, the place to start. Now, we mentioned that the jobs of the future, some of them anyway, we don't even know that they exist yet. So is that a misnomer? Because we hear that being reported and being written about quite often. It's, it might not be a misnomer. I just think it's a really uh, fun catchphrase for people to use. So, uh, but I think we often at Beher say like we like to do things and solve challenges and solve problems, and, or at least try to tackle them and make sense of them. But as I said before, I don't know how you tackle that one then. Uh, so, um, and and so that kind of hyperbole is, if nothing else, not super helpful uh, when it comes to talking to young people, because then I don't know what what you tell them. So that's yes. that's my that's my pushback in that sense. Mm -hmm. So how would you characterize the current situation in Canada as it relates to what's being taught in colleges and universities versus the skills that employers are actually looking to hire for? Oh, that's another good question. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it's the part of the origin story of the Business Higher Education Roundtable. Um, 
a number of years ago, back in 2016 or so, CEOs were sitting around a table and identifying and talking about the different skills and talent challenges they were facing, particularly when it came to hiring new entry, uh, uh, new hires. Um, so people, you know, fresh out of post-secondary. And one of the things they they commented on or found was that new hires didn't have the the skills they were looking for, the entry level skills they were looking for. Now, when you talk to the post-secondary side, the universities and colleges and polytechnics all thought they were doing probably a great job of preparing people for uh, new grads for the world of work. So we, we saw that there was an opportunity here, to, a, a disconnect. Um, and so that became part of the origin story of, of, of the Business Higher Education Roundtable, which is to bring together both sides so they could talk a, a lot more and figure out where that disconnect is and how to improve alignment, both on in terms of the skills training and on the um, the the programs that were offered so that people would graduate into sort of in-demand areas. So one of the things we realized along the way was that actually a good way to do that was to get young people work experience while they were while they were studying. So um, not necessarily to develop really hard technical skills, um, but to develop those human skills, social emotional skills that you get from working on collaboratively or working on a team. Um, and, meeting a deadline, those kinds of things. So that's very much our, that's very much what we do. And uh, here at, uh, here at Be Here to try to, to try to tackle that, that, that challenge. So I don't think we will ever fully solve it and nor is the goal perfect alignment between both sides. Um, but, uh, but what we realize is that probably applied work experience goes a long way towards uh, improving that, uh, uh, improving outcomes for young people when it comes to skill building and hopefully getting uh, companies, the uh, new grads with the skills they need. You are listening to Where Parents Talk here on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino in conversation with Matthew McKean, Chief Research and Development Officer at the Business and Higher Education Roundtable. Matthew, let's backtrack a little bit and let me ask you, what do you believe has contributed to this gap in the first place? What are some of the root causes? Uh, demographic change, people aging out and retiring out of the out of the labor market creates uh, creates big skills gaps and, uh, and 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 opportunities. Technological change, but part of the narrative for the longest time too. Another one of those catchphrases that starts a lot of reports is you know technology is changing fast and the world of work is changing fast and and this idea that robots and AI are going to disrupt work for. Uh, disrupt the workforce and replace all the humans. That's not proving to be especially true. Uh, I think what we're seeing, we know how obviously machines are, are are replacing some jobs, but what we're what we're of course seeing um, is that and and finding through through the research is that uh, we need to find new and better ways to work with the machines and work with AI uh, and the companies that invest as much into the people as they do into the technology. Um, uh, do better and harness that technology. And so I think shifts in technology and shifts in demographics are are, and, uh, are, are playing a big role uh, in, in the changing nature of work. You alluded to a few of the specific skills that employers are looking for. Could you give us some more examples of the types of skills that um, companies are looking to hire for? 
We do, sure, we do We do um, a skill survey every couple of years and we survey some of the biggest companies and we'll be doing another one uh, this fall actually and we're looking to cast a bigger net to include both the big companies and, and the smaller and medium-sized ones as well. And that's exactly what we ask them. What are what are the skills that you're, that you're looking for? Um, so we've been doing that since 2016 and interestingly, year over year, what came back were uh, at the top of the list were the human skills, and that's we all often call them social emotional skills as well. So, and that's what I was referring to before. So it was, you know, I mean, in that in that bucket of skills is is a lot of the obvious ones, you know, communication, writing, oral communication. Um, those remain, you know, critical. Um, but we've seen and added to that list is things like courage and. Uh, resiliency, um, cross-cultural team collaboration, uh, intercultural collaboration. So um, these are the skills that continue to come back year over year. And I think part of that is a commentary on the fact that work continues to change. And so we need people, workers who will change with it. So, and, and that's, you know, that to me is, uh, that's part of that narrative of lifelong learning, but also the adaptability to change with work. Uh, so it used to be that you could be probably really good at that one thing and make a career of it. That's not the case anymore. So uh, we need we need workers who can adapt and change um, along the way. So now we are seeing, though, on the technical skill side, and it's hard to get too specific on that because it's unique to every sector and every every company, and every industry. But we are seeing uh, technical skills move up the list in terms of what companies need. But we're seeing more we're seeing more specificity in what companies need in that sense um, versus just you have to be good with computers so we, maybe more more specific requirements around you know data analysis and cybersecurity and things like that let's say as a parent you've done your best to expose your child to different experiences but then the rubber hits the road when they have to make specific decisions on courses in high school and for university or college or whatever they choose how can a parent support their child during that time? Because often kids really have no idea. Oh, I love that question too. We, we talk a lot around here about some about what we call alternate labor market information. So, um, and by what, and that sounds technical, but what I, what I mean there is, is what I would love for young people to do is to think a lot more about the kind of career and life they want, and then think about what, jobs might fit into that so um because so often and it's heartbreaking but people pursue diplomas or degrees and they decide halfway through that that they're you know it's the wrong choice or they pursue careers that aren't they're not a great fit for because of one pressure or decision or, or another but if we could have young people starting to think earlier about do i want to live in a city um do i want to have a nine to five job or uh, do i want the security of a government paycheck versus uh assuming some element of risk in the in the private sector um so are my entrepreneurial and want to employ myself or you know or develop something on my own these kinds of things we don't don't often factor into the conversations with young people it's it's do i want to be an economist or an engineer um so and we think about it largely through the lens of the of the occupation so but we know now and we hear with younger people they prioritize work-life balance differently than maybe our parents did and that sort of stuff um, but thinking about, I say to my nine-year-old, he loves Lamborghinis. I say, if you, if you want to buy a Lamborghini, then that's going to, there's a particular subset of jobs and education you're going to need to be able to afford that. So, um, but 
that's kind of my backhanded way of getting him to think about think about that. But um, but man, and I would love that's the alternative labor market information. I mean, as is, is for if we could provide, and this is something we're trying to work on, but we could provide young people with those kinds of career paths. Um, so, or but maybe it's a life path, and then think about which careers make sense to fit with it, because that's also one of the biggest you know success or failure rates I think for people who do do a job. You know, you might get into into a government job and it's not the right fit for you for a bunch of reasons. And, and if only you had thought about what that was before you got there. So. so when you talk about thinking about what kind of life and career you want to have, how do you see the role of the school or the educational institution in that equation? There's a new pressure, I, I, I have to imagine, on the career offices or guidance offices in, in K-12, for sure, to provide more uh, yeah, a lot more information about what's happening in the in the labor market and that sort of thing. We know for sure at the post-secondary level, huge pressure, huge growth of career services and co-op offices uh, these days um, because the labor market outcome of graduates, the employability of graduates, everybody's that's the top concern, I think, for for everybody these days. So um, so but I don't exactly know how and I, this is a not I'd love to be able to crack, but how to help better resource the K to 12 side of that. So because I know that's probably asking a lot um, for, for them to even do what I'm suggesting about <laughs> to where that information exists. That's a big part of what we do try to do at the Business Higher Education Roundtable, which is to build tools and resources to help people make more informed decisions. We spoke, for example, with employers across the country when we were trying to build work integrated learning programs and said, what are your barriers to um, creating opportunities for young people. Um, and it wasn't paying the student. That was the was the big challenge, interestingly enough. More often than not, it was uh, knowing how to mentor, uh, how to provide proper assessment, um, what it meant to create an equitable, diverse, and inclusive experience. Um, and so we started to build the tools and resources to give it to the employers uh, so that they actually could do uh, could make more informed decisions and have the tools they needed to actually do this. I suspect in the post-secondaries, post-secondaries have, uh, I think are pretty strong on all of that. The K to 12 probably could use a lot more of those kinds of resources as opposed to just thinking to uh, communicating to students to, about particular jobs or job pathways. Because again, connected to the other story, those jobs probably won't exist our conversation about preparing today's youth for tomorrow's jobs will continue with Matthew McKean of the Business and Higher Education Roundtable. Coming up, the benefits and impact of work-integrated learning. Where Parents Talk returns in a moment. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. I'm Leanne Castellino talking about narrowing the skills and workplace gap that many young people are experiencing following graduation from post-secondary. Our guest is Matthew McKean, Chief R&D Officer at the Business and Education Roundtable. Matthew, work-integrated learning, some people refer to that as experiential learning, is also a big part of what your role involves. What does a solid work-integrated learning program in a school look like? Oh, 
Now you're really in our wheelhouse. So, you know, our, we're helping the federal government deliver on their commitment to getting every post-secondary student a work experience before they graduate. This is something the Liberal government committed to in 2019 as part of as part of that budget. Beher had kind of led a parade or a coalition of, of companies and post-secondaries and associations to get the government uh, to, to make that commitment in part to solve that challenge I mentioned at the outset about companies saying we don't aren't getting the graduates with the skills they need. Um, so, but of course, there's multiple different types of work integrated learning experiences, and we're big champions of trying to figure out what experience makes the most amount of sense, the best sense for um, uh, for the student and for the employer. So there's traditional, what we would call structured work experience. You imagine the student goes in for a four month co-op term. Um, in the skilled trades, it's, it's apprenticeships. Um, so those get us so far and where those kinds of experiences make sense for students, then, you know, that and our ideal, that's probably what you might call your deluxe work experience. But we know, though, that there is as many different types of potential work integrated learning opportunities as there are students, and especially for students with disabilities, newcomers to Canada, Indigenous and rural and remote youth, we probably need to create other types of work experiences for them that don't involve going and sitting in an office for four months or working on a site. And so that's a big part of what we try to do at BHER is to actually figure out how to develop out an experience that makes sense for the employer and for the student, and that reduces a lot of the different barriers. So, but any instance in which there's an applied work context, whether it's a project, you know, a company can provide a project that students work on, um, they can go and do a field study. We are fans of doing, developing, you know, a, a play or doing something with the arts. Um, anything where there's a work, some kind of applied experience counts, I think. So, and, but we also like, we're also, you know, on the quality front, really committed to ensuring that there's some kind of mentorship uh, so that the student gets um, gets feedback and there's some kind of reflective practice along the way. Uh, they think about what happened, you know, that experience that they are assessed and provided feedback uh, as well. So there are some trappings that you can layer in, even if it's a short work experience or a longer one. Is there an ideal age or grade that work integrated learning should be introduced in an educational institution? This is part of the fun, I think, and the benefit of, of there being different innovative types of, uh, of work integrated learning. So um, probably we don't want K to 12 students in a, in, in, uh, in a company, <laughs> but, but we could bring applied real world challenges into the classroom for them. And that has that that work context for them and getting them thinking uh, in that way. So, um, but we do believe in and we're committed as, as is the government to getting every student, at least in post-secondary before they graduate some kind of work experience. Where if, there's a, there's, because there are different types, if you can in first year have a particular type of will that's maybe a smaller uh, project-based will and by, before you graduate, do that apply to work experience where you're actually out of off campus and doing something uh, in the field, then I think there isn't one size fits all, there isn't an ideal, um, but, uh, but uh, some kind of accumulation of work experience before you graduate, we know the outcomes for students, the employability outcomes, they, you know, they, they gain that real world experience, they, they develop a network, somebody who knows them. Uh, a big part of what we're trying to get, uh, where we're trying to get to is to have new graduates be able to articulate the skills they have 
And I think that's been one of the ongoing challenges. We talk about it. It sounds like a uh, overly convoluted word, but that skills articulation piece is, is really, really important. I, I did three degrees in history. I don't really brag about that and came out not thinking, I uh, think my career options were to, you know, work in a museum or in an archive and none of that really interested me or be a teacher, of course, too. And that wasn't the path I was looking for either, but I thought that's, that's all I could do, but it didn't occur to me. Or I hadn't been conditioned or through the course syllabi or all the years I spent in school, I didn't, I hadn't had that conversation about here's the skills you actually have and this is what an employer wants to know about not that you know a whole lot about the industrial revolution so <laughs> or the subject so that that and I think that I didn't get a co-op or work experience or anything along the way other than other than summer and jobs but part of the benefit of that experience of that work experience is that it helps this helps the young people understand the skills they have because they get to apply them and then turn around and communicate that to an employer when they're sitting in front of them for an interview you alluded earlier to the surveys that your organization conducts. Were there any particular findings in the 2022 survey that struck you as somebody who researches and examines this topic on a regular basis? One of the exciting findings comes from uh, what we see as a steady growth and partnerships between post-secondary and industry. So when we first started that out, um, it was, I want to say, in the in the 70s or the range of about 70 percent or so and we've seen that climb uh, up through 2022 to into the 90 percent range and so that to us as a you know validation for an organization like us that you know is designed specifically and has our mandate to bring together business and higher education but also speaks to the increasing demand for it and the realization that no no one side can do this alone and that's one of our sort of talking points so um and uh, working together, working collaboratively, which is what work integrated learning emphatically is, is results from a partnership between the school and multiple companies to provide experiences for the young people. Um, that the steady growth of that, uh, I think uh, is, is not not uh, surprising, but exciting for us and, and something we're, we're, we're quite pleased with and proud of for to whatever extent we've been able to help along the way. What we're talking about here with respect to the gap between the skills that kids are being taught in schools and what they're being asked for in the workforce, that gap is not a new situation in Canada. Is it somehow different now? I would say this: there's been a misalignment between post-secondary and, and the world of work for a long time. Um, both have kind of operated in, in their own silos. Um, and um, But... In the past, maybe our parents' generation, they could graduate with a diploma or degree and get a job and have relatively successful careers over time. Um, the complexity of jobs today, the complexity of the job market, that and I try to avoid the hyperbole whenever I can, but the, the fast-changing nature of it uh, means that what we're seeing is that new graduates are, are uh, taking longer to land and to find that the job in the field they, that that's a right fit for them. We've we've heard the narrative about the barista with the BA. Um, there's a long-standing narrative in Canada of underemployed PhDs um, who don't get a job in academia and then struggle with that transition. I lived and breathed that one myself. I called it my wilderness years. Uh, so it took me a long time to figure out, as I was saying before, what my skills were and to articulate it um, uh, to an employer before I then made traction so it's that it's that it's that transition period that i think in part because of the complexity of the labor market that is now 
created a new urgency uh, around this conversation and a new urgency to, to try to solve it. So especially in an environment when we need more people uh, and, and there are labor shortage or though, I mean, the labor market is full, we need more people. Um, so um, so there's, there's a new urgency right now for sure. Many organizations have turned to creating their own workforces by educating workers to potentially work with that organization down the line, meeting the specific needs of that company. Google comes to mind. Caterpillar University is another example. Is this a trend that you're seeing and should it be happening more? It's definitely a trend. It's probably actually just a normal thing that's been happening for a long time, to be honest. Um, there's myriad instances of that. We, um, be heard, convened a skills working group also last year. There's another report next to the skills survey where we brought together about 10 of the big companies in Canada and asked them exactly this, what are you doing when it comes to skilling, reskilling, upskilling your employees? And the biggest companies were doing it themselves more often than not and had developed their own programs, their own universities. So, um, and uh, this goes speaks to that siloing I was, I was saying before. Um, we talked to them and say, why is that? And they spoke about the barriers they faced in partnering with a post-secondary institution to do that. So there's the perceptions about the sluggishness of a post-secondary institution, particularly university, to be agile enough to develop a course that they that, that they need. So, um, but our of course mandate is to bring both sides together. So post-secondaries. That's what they're good at is the curriculum design and pedagogy and the, you know, they provide all the wraparound services for learners so that they can be supported along the way. So, um, and it pains us to see the duplication of efforts in Canada, even among a for-profit company to reinvent or invent courses that probably exist somewhere else. So, um, so yes, we are seeing that. I think the the next level, and so we would love for companies increasingly to first call or figure out a way, call Beher and we'll connect them if that's helpful, but to find a way to before they develop their own thing um, to, to partner with a post-secondary to do that. But the next level down, I think, issue there is about the transferability or portability of those company-specific programs. So no critique on what that program is, but it's probably de designed to suit, suit that particular company. Um, and but for that, the ability for that person to leave and go somewhere else, that part I don't know that the labor market has proven that that, that one yet. Um, so and which is fine if the person is a graduate of a post-secondary and that's part of their work experience. That upskilling course they took at Caterpillar University. Um, but what um, what I'm cognizant of and and, uh, and and a little bit fearful of is the is the idea that that might be the only thing that a but, you know, a young person might need, and you know, just the Caterpillar U or just the Google uh, certificate, um, uh, because that's where I worry about how about their longevity and portability in, in, the, in the job market, recognizing very few people these days stay at one place forever. In certain households and families, parents can have a pretty large say in what their kids choose as a career or even the courses they select in high school or university. The child could be unsure, they could be nervous. There are many reasons why this parental involvement may happen. And oftentimes a parent may suggest taking something very general, like business, for example. What's your thought on that approach? I totally understand that parents have their own 
goals and aspirations for their kids and the direction they want to they want them to go in. But it is important to look at what the labor market actually needs. Um, so at the moment, there isn't a huge demand for people with a business diploma or degree. Um, so um, in the same way that nobody's particularly asking, and I can say this as a bleeding heart humanities person with a history degree, that doesn't mean we shouldn't necessarily take those those uh, those programs. Uh, and it goes back to, if you do, being able to articulate the skills that you have. Um, but that kind of preoccupation with you must do a particular career uh, might be actually doing those uh, those kids a disservice if there isn't actually a career pathway for them. Now, Matthew, you have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, and you're still in the exposure phase to a large extent, I'm assuming. What is your approach on this topic, especially as someone who researches it? I'm always asking them to talk about what it is that they've just done or what they've just read to tell me the story of it. Uh, and that's partly me, probably because of my humanities background. That to me is this is me realizing what skill I had, which was to tell stories, not about very specific wars or anything like that, but to take information, translate it for, in some kind of accessible way and, and, and tell a story. And so that to me, I hope will serve them well in the future. Matthew McKean, Chief Research and Development Officer at the Business and Higher Education Roundtable. Really appreciate your time and perspective today. Oh, thanks for having me. And that is this edition of Where Parents Talk. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Leanne Castellino. Till next time, happy parenting. For all expectant and new parents, the Fall Baby Show is Saturday and Sunday, September 30th and October 1st at the Entercare Center at Exhibition Place in Toronto. We have two free tickets to give away to the first soon-to-be or new parents to follow Where Parents Talk on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter on whereparentstalk.com. To get your free tickets, send a direct message on Instagram or email leanne at whereparentstalk.com telling me why you want to attend the baby show. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.